Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast may contain adult themes, strong language, and stupid health advice. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to In Bad Taste, where we cast a critical eye over health documentaries and the claims they make. I am your host, registered nutritionist Pixie Turner. And I'm cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Nikki Stamp. Each month we are watching some shockingly bad health films and breaking them down over the course of four episodes. I actually can't believe that this is our third film and yet again we have thrown ourselves into a proverbial dumpster fire that is a health documentary and tortured ourselves watching this crap so that you don't have to. Yeah, definitely don't watch them, otherwise we would have sacrificed our well-being for nothing. Last month was pretty heavy as we looked at the Gerson miracle and we had some pretty forceful conversations. Although once again, they were plant-based, so this month we're going in a slightly different direction. Yes, we are finally moving away from bean burritos, juices and butt coffee and taking a look at the super popular film Fed Up. Honestly, we could not face another plant-based documentary. We feel like <laughs> we've done those to death for now. <laughs> so we're on a mission to get to the bottom of sugar. Yeah, I definitely couldn't handle that again. I mean, especially not the butt coffee. Again, people, coffee <laughs> is meant for your mouth not your butt. Even though Nikki doesn't drink coffee, she she agrees with that too. And in a major development, this is the first film that we've watched without a weird Freudian obsession with what's below your belt. So already, this is a vast improvement. Before we get started though, these episodes have a lot to do with weight. And for some people, that might not be the most comfortable conversation to listen to, which we understand. There is a lot of discussion happening at the moment and historically around terms like fat and obesity, larger bodies, various different forms of language. And it's really important for us to state that we will tend to use the term fat because this is in keeping with the fat acceptance movement, which seeks to reclaim that term. This is a neutral descriptor. When we say the word fat, it is a neutral descriptor of appearance and it does not carry any moral judgment with it. Mm -hmm, exactly. But of course, we know that not everyone will want to use that term and there have been a lot of other discussions around suitable alternatives. So we know that the term fat isn't everyone's preference. So be sure to ask what makes people feel comfortable, if it's appropriate, by the way. Please don't just run around talking about people's weight. Um, also, if we use a clinical term about weight or fatness or anything like that, we'll make sure to clarify what exactly we're talking about so that there's no confusion. So, Absolutely. One of the things I, I often tell people when I'm teaching is to use the language that the people give you. 
So if you're working with someone and they use, uh, they describe their body as a bigger body, that is probably the language that was good to use because that is the language that they have decided to use for their own body. In the same way that the LGBTQ plus community have re have reclaimed the word queer, but not everyone is comfortable with that term. So it's always good to listen to people. Revolutionary. Listen to people. Groundbreaking. Oh, all right. <sighs> Are we ready? I don't, I don't know if, I, I think I'm ready. I think we can do this one. I mean, it's a step up from Gerson, so let's crack on. So should we have a, a quick talk about what the documentary is actually all about? I think it's it's trying to be a part political, part health documentary. Um, uh, it's trying to sort of give you some information to make some changes in your own life, specifically looking a lot around sugar, and that's what we're going to talk about mainly today, but also trying to get some politics into it. Um, and this is yet another health documentary, which for some reason Bill Clinton pops up in. I mean, that man is everywhere. We know that, but he's... Why though? Why Why is he everywhere? I think he had a heart attack not long after he left office and it really changed his view on, on health. Um, and credit to him, he's, you know, um, you know, leading the charge in a lot of uh, health reforms. And I think that's, you know, admirable, but... Um, does that mean he has to pop up in every documentary? I'm sick of seeing him. Like, can we have someone else, please? <laughs> I just want a new president, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think alongside that, I think it's also worth saying that this this entire documentary is very US-focused. Like with mm. most of these documentaries, it's a very typical American stance that the US is the world and they're the only ones that matter and nobody else exists. And this is obviously uh, not going to go well with us because I'm from the UK, Nikki's from Australia. Neither of us live in the US. So while it is interesting to see that, it is also important that we recognise that not every single country is the same as the US and there are other, there are in fact other countries outside the US who have different systems and do things differently what yeah but yeah that is a, that is an issue for sure but essentially this entire movie is about sugar apparently we are all fed up with sugar we all are eating too much sugar and sugar is the cause of everything that is bad in the world such a common um wellness stance at the moment isn't it like sugar is probably up there as public enemy number one it's been like that for a few years i don't know why all of a sudden everyone woke up one day and went, you know, we've kind of shat on fat for a while now. Let's, what else can we, oh, oh, I know, sugar. I just, it, it just, it is really the the fashionable thing to hate on in wellness world. We both um, dabbled in the sugar detox side of things. Shh. I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> but like, as always, at the beginning of, of the first episode of the month, we do mention our own conflicts of interest. And um, I did the I Quit Sugar program mm -hmm. a while back in, I think it was 2013, probably. Uh, oh my God, same. Same year. What was that like? The year of I Quit Sugar? Yeah, it was the absolute peak. And I watched that, this lecture by Robert Lustig on YouTube, which he is one mm. of the people who is interviewed quite, quite prominently in this documentary. Mm. I watched his lecture on YouTube. It's very popular. It has, I think, over a million views. Which And this entire lecture basically talks about how sugar is poison and it is really terrible. And I definitely absorbed all of that. 
I even mm. I even did a talk once about how sugar is basically poison, and it is obviously very embarrassing looking back at that. But uh, yeah, I did the whole I quit sugar thing, and it was terrible. It didn't really do anything for me. It just made me miserable. Yeah, I did it for a couple of weeks. Um, and one of the things I remember thinking at the time was that the the substitutes and all the things that you had to buy were so expensive because you had to replace um uh sorry you had to replace sugar with rice malt syrup which spoiler alert is still sugar um but it cost like 20 <laughs> times as much um i was living in sydney at the time so it was like you know wellness central um and i was just i don't know why i was so enamored of it and i think i i quit pretty early because I was just like, this is just ridiculous. And interestingly, I I did sort of then think about this a little bit more logically. And the thing that that tipped me off that there was something wrong with this line of thinking was the sort of discussion around fruit being bad for you. And I'm like, that's just stupid. I know that's stupid. You know, therefore, I think the whole thing could be fooey. So <laughs> I got rid of it. But a couple of years ago, one of the junior doctors who worked for me, who, um, uh, look, you know, wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, he, he recommended <laughs> to me to watch this film, this film Fed Up. And I turned it on because I thought, oh, you know, I'll see what it's about. Um, and I turned it on for five minutes and, and they started talking about all this crap about sugar. I'm like, no, thank you. Been there, done that. <laughs> not not going to watch the, the rest of it. And I, he's like, did you watch it? I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway anyway yeah back to the documentary uh so that is our that is our conflict of interest <laughs> and our embarrassing stories we hope you appreciate us sharing them but yes essentially the entire premise of this documentary is that sugar is very bad sugar is the cause of everything bad that we are all being essentially tricked into eating more sugar than we want to and that this is the reason why we're going through a health crisis in the world. That is essentially the sum of it. We have a kind of protagonist, but she doesn't really appear much. She's just a kind of distant voice. And from what I could gather, she's some kind of TV news anchor. Yes, she's a journalist. Yeah, Katie Courage. And interestingly about her, she feels that it's appropriate to give equal voice to pro-vaccine and anti-vaccination stances in the past. So, oh, so much, you know, so many problems with that. Yeah. So we're off to, off to an awesome start. Um, but that, I think, I think that the, there's a few themes that sort of keep coming up with regards, you know, to sugar, because they, they really sort of lay it on thick about all of the different things that sugar, um, sugar causes. And probably the, the crux of their argument is that sugar causes weight gain. And I was like, well, I mean, sure, if you have enough of anything, you know, that's possible. But that's such an oversimplification, one of nutrition, two of weight, three of the world and so on and so forth. So I was like, you know, just like that's just, yeah, that was that was just kind of like pop science at its worst, this particular line of thinking that they go on about. Yes, there is some really interesting research that is large scale research that shows that the effect of sugar on weight gain is not actually unique to sugar, but that in free living conditions, sugar can contribute to energy excess and energy excess can lead to weight gain. 
So what we see is that there is an association between sugar and weight gain when we just plot those two things on a graph, very simply. However, when we correct for things like age, ethnicity, and physical activity, and total energy intake, that association between sugar and weight gain falls away, which essentially shows that there actually isn't mm. a strong link between sugar as a unique component that causes weight gain. That it doesn't really seem to be a thing. But also, this focusing on single nutrients is is a ridiculous premise to begin with. Firstly, because no single nutrient has that much power. Very occasionally, we eat single nutrients, but it's very, very rare. Most of the time, we actually just eat food in the form of meals, which usually contain more than one thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's so reductive. It's so unhelpful. It's just, you know, because what you do is you get people focused on their sugar intake solely without thinking about all of the other parts to their, their nutrition, um, you know, which can be your health, you know, your health things. So your other macronutrients, um, you know, fat, um, protein, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, all those kinds of things. But also, you know, when I, I remember this during, during the I quit sugar thing sometimes it's actually nice to have something sugary and as a part of you know your overall eating pattern that's actually okay that's fine um you know and I think it, the other thing around this kind of thinking about food and particularly cutting something out so drastically like sugar is that I want you to I want you to not think about pink elephants do not think about a pink elephant and the first oh, thing you're going to do You've thought about a pink elephant, right? So the same thing happens with Boone. They're cute. Um, <laughs> you know, we know that. I mean, everyone can relate to that. As soon as you say I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to cut out what you know a food or a food group or um, I'm going to eat less, etc. The only thing you want to eat then is that thing that you've forbidden for yourself, um, <laughs> and it's just it's it's kind of counterproductive. Yeah, because it rather than it being just another thing that's swimming in the soup of your brain, it is suddenly brought into the forefront very sharply and clearly by you drawing attention to it. So it actually tends to have uh, the opposite effect to the one intended. So just saying to yourself, oh, you know, chocolate, sure, I'll have it whenever I want. Oh, it's not special anymore. It's not exciting. It's just another food. And you don't really think about it. So it's just there. I just need to disagree just really quickly. Chocolate is always special. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, one of the things I think they talk about, though, that I think we can probably this is just as I, I suppose something that may be a little bit unusual about this documentary. And please, everybody, don't lose your minds. But there are parts of this that we're going to go, yeah, that's kind of right. Um, and there's a lot of stuff though that we're going to go, that's quite wrong. But I think the discussion around sugary drinks, particularly, you know, in the literature and the scientific literature, we call them sugar sweetened beverages, but, you know, soft drinks, um, fizzy drinks, what they call it, pop. What other names can we think of for things like, you know, Cokes, lemonades, all those kinds of things. They, they're not my favorite thing in the world to be, particularly because they are so accessible. Um, they're often accessible, more accessible to people in low socioeconomic areas. Um, and that, that kind of does bother me from a public health standpoint. But again, they're not the sole cause for the world's problems. But they're not, they're not my favourite thing in the world that we should be, you know, pushing on people. Um, and I think they are advertised very, very well, which means that they can be consumed a little too well sometimes. Mm. 
I'm I'm with you there. I wouldn't necessarily say that actively encouraging those drinks is something that we should be doing. Um, I think it's also important for us to understand why people consume these rather than simply saying, oh, just don't. And yeah. what I find what I found really frustrating in the narrative around this was basically saying that fruit juice, because it has no fiber, is the same as drinking a fizzy drink like Coca-Cola or Sprite or whatever. No, like fruit juice is actually more than just sugar. Fruit juice is not, not pure sugar. It not contains sugar, but it also contains vitamins and minerals. Also, context is important because sometimes fruit juice is absolutely delicious and amazing. But also, it's really helpful for people who are living with type 1 diabetes. Fruit juice is actually really, really helpful in terms of managing blood sugar levels and also bringing them up if you're, in, if you're hypoglycemic. So context actually really does matter sometimes. Always, actually. Context matters always. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I, I agree. You know, look, you know, ideally, you know, you would have, um, you know, for someone who doesn't have any particular dietary needs, you would have a piece of fruit because then you get the, the the sweetness and you get the taste and you get um, the vitamins and minerals, but you also get the fibre. But again, you know, this is, again, coming back to this idea of context, you know, if if you have a, sh- a, a fruit juice every now and again, not the not the end of the world. And also fruit juice, just like sugar-sweetened beverages, just like sugar, just like anything that you can think of, is not solely responsible for all of the world's problems. You know, I, I just think, again, this is really reductive thinking um, and it really ends up sort of demonising foods rather than getting people to think more broadly about their, their dietary patterns, which... Funnily enough, is what matters, not the one juice or the one Coke that you have, you know, once every now and again or even once a day. Um, It's more about what you do over an extended period of time. Um, But they just seem to love like just crapping on something, in this this case, sugar. Although they do say that fruit is fine. While they are shitting on fruit juice, they do say that fruit is okay. And they say that... I was so happy. Right? This was good. And yeah. I, I was surprised that they went, that they even said this, to be honest, because I was expecting them to be like, fruit is terrible because fruit is basically mm-hmm. sugar. They did that with fruit juice. But they, mm-hmm. then this is, t- this is typical Robert Lustig. He does this thing, the saying that sugar is a chronic liver toxin. Oh, okay. That's his thing. A chronic dose-dependent liver toxin. However, he also, and we're going to come back to that we in a are, second. We are, yes. But he also says alongside that, that while sugar is a poison, fiber is the reason why fruit is fine because fiber is nature's antidote to sugar and so there's this idea that because sugar comes with fiber that therefore it's okay and i wanted to say to him have you not noticed that most of the time when we consume sugar it's alongside things like starch which contains fiber so when i eat a donut that has a bit of fiber in it it also has things like fat and starch which slows down, slows down your dose. Sh- yep, yep, slows, slows. <laughs> it slows down <laughs> sugar absorption. It, it it does. Yeah. And so, and this is the the reason why I think it's important to point this out right here, is because they say that white bread is the same as sugar, and it is not. White bread is not the same as sugar. It does not turn into sugar instantly in the body. And so it's ridiculous because they claim that fiber is the reason why fruit is fine. But they seem to forget that grains also contain fiber and that grains are also more than just carbs. They also contain various vitamins and minerals. So their whole argument is really flawed because how can fruit be fine because fiber, but grains can't be fine because fiber? 
<laughs> the um the the sugar is a poison thing. So um it is Lostig in this who says sugar is a chronic um dose dependent hepatotoxin. <laughs> so um look to to be fair um we we're not we're not the first people and we're also um not the most learned people to call his theories into question. His um, theories have been called into question quite a bit by um people who are much smarter and much more um <laughs> qualified in this area than us. So we're not alone here. However, we're angrier than most people about this, so we have every right to talk about it. And we have a podcast, so you have to listen. Um, so, <laughs> sugar, <laughs> so sugar is a chronic hepatotoxin. Okay, so let's talk about that. So what he's talking about is a liver condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. Um, so this is a genuine issue. This is a, a, a potentially serious medical condition where you get uh, an accumulation of triglycerides so a type of, of fatty acid um, or a type of fat rather in the accumulating in the liver and it can lead to serious liver dysfunction down the track. Um, it can lead to um, problems with um, atherosclerosis, so plaques in the blood vessels. It uh, can, you know, lead to insulin resistance and problems with type 2 diabetes. So genuine, serious medical condition, okay? Now, is sugar the only cause of this? Mm, no! But there is not really, it's not the only cause. There are lots of other causes. Um, the The... The biggest contributor to fatty acid or triglyceride accumulation into the liver is actually lipolysis, so it's breakdown of our own fatty tissues. Now, this happens in some metabolic conditions more frequently, such as diabetes or insulin resistance, sure. Um, but the whole idea is that the <laughs> this happens from a really complex interaction of, of genetics, of diet, of, you know, exercise, of all these sorts of things. None of these act alone. But I did find it interesting that there is a little bit of evidence, it's not particularly strong, that sugar may may increase your risk of having this but again it's not the only thing so i think using that term it's a hepatotoxin it's a liver toxin is not right um i think it really oversimplifies the science and you know again this is going to be something that we come back to time and time again i think in this film but also in probably every film there are these tiny little nuggets of science there are these tiny little nuggets of science and then they put them into a really emotionally charged sentence or graphic or story or something like that and it just completely distorts what the actual truth is because if you ask if you ask a, a scientist a researcher a, a doctor in this field they'll say to you oh there's a lot of things that can that cause that but these guys they're like no it is this one thing and I think that should be, as a general rule, a red flag. If you hear someone saying it's really, really, it's it's really just this one thing, you should be like, is it? Is it really? <laughs> because very few things in life are just, you know, one thing, one soul, the result of one soul thing. So that's what I have to say on that. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think he, I think Robert Lustig's a bit of a twat and I'm angry at him for deceiving me back in the day as well, <laughs> for sure, which is why I can't believe I'm about to say this, but he actually says a really good thing at one point. And it's probably the only good thing he's ever likely to say. And he says, your body processes all these different sugars all the same. And at this point, I just went, yes, 
Absolutely. Your body does not care if what you're eating is white sugar or fucking artisan hand-tapped maple syrup harvested by virgin nuns. Whatever. (laughs) It really does not care in the slightest. It's still sugar, even if it's got a wellness brand on it. It's still sugar. There are slight differences sometimes, but essentially the differences are plus or minus a bit of water, plus or minus slightly different ratios of different types of sugar. But in the end, it is all basically just sugar, but it all comes from just very different sources. That is essentially what your different types of sugar just come from different plants. But that is probably the only good thing I think he says. And I did want to acknowledge that because despite my hatred for this guy, he does say one good thing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Again, we're going to have to do this a few times during this film. We're going to have to be like, that was okay. However, um, so since we, we've given them their, we've given them their little tick, <laughs> let's move on to something <laughs> stupid. Um, so just as a bit of background, insulin is a hormone that comes up a lot in these discussions around carbohydrates and sugar. So insulin, insulin is a hormone that's made by your pancreas, which is a feather shaped organ, which sits in your upper abdomen. When we eat food, please note that I said food. I said food very deliberately because all types of macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, fat will stimulate your pancreas to release insulin two different degrees, granted, carbohydrate does it pretty strongly. But the numbnuts in this film say, when your liver is pushed to the max, the pancreas comes to the rescue by pushing excess amounts of a hormone called insulin. That is so wrong. It is so wrong. That is basic high school biology. That, that is like so wrong. Your liver 
is not telling your pancreas what to do. Your pancreas is a strong, independent woman and she makes up her own mind when to secrete insulin and that is when she gets the signals from the food that we've eaten. Um, And when insulin gets released, it it basically impacts on the metabolism so the way our body uses carbohydrate, fat and protein. Um, It generally promotes uptake into um, glucose usually or fat into our uh, liver, into our muscles, which is really important because our muscles need them to need the energy to work. Um, you know, it will store fat. It's really, really important hormone. But they completely cocked this up. They have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, which leads me on to their second insulin cock up that they say, <laughs> this one I had to laugh at a lot. <laughs> They say high levels of insulin can also block your brain from receiving the signal that you're full. And like when I first heard them say that, I was like, that, does, that doesn't sound right. I'm pretty sure that's not right. Um, so instead of being like an arrogant documentary narrator, I decided to go and check the science behind this. And amazingly, insulin actually decreases your appetite because it crosses the into the brain um, and it suppresses your appetite. But again, this is a really complex um, complex uh, mechanism um, because we're discussing it here rather than a health documentary, so we're not simplifying or lying. Um, but, you know, it's just such a, a complicated mechanism appetite is. Um, and they're trying to sort of scare you into saying, you know, you're going to scare your liver, which is going to cause more insulin, which is wrong. Um, and then you're going to get these signals to your brain, which are wrong. And then you're just going to eat the whole buffet. No, no, that's not right. Like if you're going to make a statement, at least make it correct. Yeah. Oh, and on top of idiots. that, they even say that your liver panics and immediately turns all the sugar into fat. <laughs> That is not what happens. Like, firstly, your liver is... We should stop anthropomorphizing our various organs. Your liver can't panic in that sense. But also, no, that is is not what happens. It is a huge oversimplification. Um, From based on what I've read, it seems that maybe around 1% of sugar is turned into fat like that. But actually, most of it is used by various organs and by various tissues in a number of different ways. It's used immediately for energy because glucose is an incredibly useful energy source. It is also used for things like to form glycogen, which is essentially long chains of glucose, which are stored in places like the muscles, for example. And it is also just used for a bunch of other things as well. But like it mainly is, is mainly those first two and a little bit of turning it into fat, but only a little bit. It's not either immediately like you, you drink some sugar and straight away, it's just like two minutes later, it's just boom, magically like fairy dust turned into fat. It's That's not how that works. Our liver is actually the most chilled out organ there is. Like seriously, it just kicks back, you know, it's like whatever, man, I'll go with the flow. It's all very cool. Um, I, yeah, I just... Yeah, you can throw a lot of alcohol at it. And also you could take away half of it and it's still fine. It grows You can back. literally cut half of it off, just slice nicely, just slice it off nicely and it will grow back. It will continue to function. Your liver is amazing. It can do so much. And even if you only have half of it, it can still do everything it needs to do. Now that is impressive. That is not the kind of organ that panics the second a drop <laughs> of sugar enters its system. Do you know what panics? testicles panic because as soon as they get cold they just run away okay that's a panicky organ all right um 
(laughs) How did I go there? This was literally the only film we've watched so far that didn't give us any kind of reference to genitals or butts or whatever and I still went there. I'm sorry. Um, I... We really dropped it. <laughs> I did. Um, I, I think. Um, I think though we should get on to the most outrageous claim, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you this one about that's made about sugar in this film, mainly because I want to see you just go off on it. <laughs> I okay. I'm ready. Go do it. This documentary <laughs> claims that sugar is addictive and is basically a class A drug. I have so many issues with this because this is so fucking wrong and incredibly frustrating and really actually a harmful narrative to people and it pisses me off so much that I think I've written about it in every single fucking book I've written (laughs) because it just will not go away. I dedicated an entire chapter to it in my first book. I dedicated literally sections of various chapters to it in my second book and I think I've even mentioned it in a book about social media (laughs) which actually has nothing to do with sugar but even then I think I still mentioned it because it fucking pisses me off yeah okay so what this essentially comes down to is some research on rats that's right not even humans fucking rats and what these rats apparently did was when they were given the option of sugar or cocaine they went for the sugar Now, you might interpret this as as being that sugar is more addictive than cocaine. And that is very much what all the headlines did. Mm -hmm. However, I would argue that this is a little bit more complicated than that. And I would say that humans don't typically have to choose between sugar and cocaine, for one thing. (laughs) What generally does not happen is that humans are starved for 48 hours and then given, then essentially woken up and and, and given the option, would you like some sugar? Would you like some cocaine? I've never been in that scenario, and I don't know anyone who possibly has been in that scenario. I can't imagine a human being in that scenario unless they've been kidnapped, which would be very unethical to begin with. Anyway, okay, total (laughs) tangent. Anyway, back to the point. There are several issues with this whole line of thinking and with this entire narrative and this entire body of research. When I say body of research, I mean there's like two or three on rats. Just to clarify, not on humans. It's, It's tiny, right? Yeah. So firstly, humans don't ever have to choose between sugar and cocaine. So that's a bollocks argument to begin with. It's not like every day we wake up and go, hmm, what shall I have today? No, definitely not. Secondly, maybe, just maybe, the rats chose the substance that would actually give them some calories or some energy. Maybe rats get a come down from cocaine the same way humans do. I would choose the sugar for fuck's sake. Especially if I was hungry and hadn't eaten for 24 to 48 hours, I would go for the sugar not for the cocaine, because the sugar is actually going to give me some energy so that I can continue to function as a human being and not die. Because I'd mm-hmm. rather not die, you know? So there's that. <laughs> and also, humans don't generally spoon pure sugar into their mouths. No. We don't generally tend to do that. What we do eat, however, is we tend to really like food that is a combination of sugar, starch, and fat. In other words, mm-hmm. donuts, bitch. donuts are fucking delicious donuts cake anything that's a combination of butter flour and sugar humans are fucking on that because we love it so much it is delicious stuff and this is not because it's addictive this is because this is from an evolutionary perspective it is it makes sense that we as humans would lean towards the foods that are very energy dense so that in times of famine we can make sure we still survive Mm -hmm. this is why our bodies are much more likely to gain weight than lose weight because weight gain is not going to kill you but weight loss if if you're in a famine could definitely kill you so that from an evolutionary perspective just makes sense 
Mm-hmm. And there's this whole idea that sugar is addictive because of brain studies, which shows that sugar lights up various pleasure centers in the brain and also triggers a dopamine response. It's worth saying that this is not unique to sugar. Mm. Most food actually does this. If mm. food tastes good, it lights up the pleasure centers in our brain. And again, this makes total sense from an evolutionary perspective because it makes sense that the things we need to do to live would be pleasurable. Mm. I would 100% bet that the same pleasure centers light up in my brain when I take a really satisfying dump (laughs) or when I drink water after having been on on a hot tube for hours and really just desperately need a drink. (laughs) The pleasure centers also definitely light up in your brain when you have sex because if sex wasn't pleasurable... Humans would have definitely died out a long time ago because why the fuck would we bother if it didn't if it wasn't enjoyable? Same with food. Would you bother eating if it was really miserable and you didn't enjoy the taste of it? No. I've worked with people who have ARFID, which is um, a type of eating issue where food is either really unpalatable or there's a lot of avoidance um, around food. And I've worked with people who really don't like the taste of food. It is really hard for them to eat. They really, really struggle to eat anything because food just doesn't taste good. Can you imagine? You wouldn't mm. want to bother with it. So it makes sense that we would need, that these things would be enjoyable and delicious because that way we would actually want to eat it so that we can survive. So there are several criteria that need to be established in order for something to be deemed addictive. And dopamine or pleasure centers in the brain is not enough to meet that criteria because hugs or seeing puppies also lights up those same pleasure centers in your brain. And are those addictive? No, obviously not. Mm -hmm. There are several standards and criteria that need to be met for something to be addictive. Firstly, a tolerance, which is defined as consuming increasing amounts to achieve the same experience or effect Mm -hmm. or diminished effects with continued use. That's not the case with sugar. Withdrawal symptoms, not really, unless you count a low, if you count a dip in blood sugar as being withdrawal symptom, that doesn't really work either because literally eating anything else that isn't sugar will also fix that. That does not work with drugs. With drugs, you have to consume the same drug for that withdrawal effect to go away. With food, you can eat any other food and it will increase, so you'll be fine. Using inconsistently larger amounts, not really. A lot of people just eat one donut and then one donut and then one donut and then one donut. Mm, totally fine. Unsuccessful attempts to cut down, yeah, sure, that can sometimes be the case. It can be difficult for people to cut down on sugar because it tastes good. Increased effort or time taken to obtain or use the substance. Not really. Doesn't really take more time in that sense. And use despite persistent adverse physical or psychological outcomes. Again, maybe, but not necessarily the case, because there aren't necessarily going to be adverse effects from having a little bit of sugar, for sure. And also, drugs are inherently more potent triggers of various reward-seeking behaviours than food. They just inherently are. That's how they're designed. I, I, I mean, you absolutely hit the nail on the head, all those things. So sugar is not an addictive substance. But, you know, I find the, the I suppose, psychosocial discussion around food addiction really, really interesting because, you know, it, we use that in, in like just everyday conversation so often, don't we? Like I'm so addicted to chocolate or I'm so addicted to donuts or um you know whatever it is that floats your boat we use that all the time and you know there is some thinking that maybe that saying that I'm addicted to it is like a socially acceptable way of of explaining why we always eat chocolate um (laughs) like me so (laughs) um you know it's 
because it, it seems more it seems more I suppose tolerable because then you can sort of say oh it's addiction it's out of your control um you know so it, it, it's a it's a more socially acceptable way of referring to something that maybe you're just a, a little bit ashamed of and the other side of this that, that really upsets me and you kind of touched on it there that you know drugs are designed to be really addictive you know nicotine cocaine um amphetamines uh, heroin all these sorts of things they are designed and you know prescription drugs you know that can be used off label as well or abused I should say but you know the, those things are uh, kind of minimized I, I feel like that the, the issues around them are kind of minimized by saying that you know oh look sugar's addictive and you can kick that habit so why can't you kick your other habits you know I just I think that that really um, it really doesn't sort of it doesn't take into account the really uh, biologically addictive nature and psychologically of course but the predominant biological um, addiction of 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 drug addiction um, in all of its forms. So that that kind of discussion, it really it, it annoys me a little bit. I think it's I think it's a little bit. I think it's potentially more harmful than it is good. Would be my 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 feelings on it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, the leading researchers in this area they all agree that it is neither accurate nor helpful to call sugar addictive. And what you've described there is, I think. I think this kind of sense of learned helplessness mm. and which is essentially when someone repeatedly faces uncontrollable stressful situations they learn they are helpless in that situation and then when change is possible or there's a chance for escape they don't take it now we commonly talk about this in the context of PTSD but I think we can also apply this to sugar if we use this kind of language around sugar it essentially prevents us from actually being able to make any changes that we might want to make or choose to make to what we're eating. And mm. I think it's also really important to point out that food addiction is not really seen as a real thing because simply because you can't be addicted to something you need to do in order to live. However, it can feel like you're addicted to food. It can definitely feel like it. But that is a habitual behavioral issue. The food is simply the vehicle to that in the same way that alcohol or drugs can be the vehicle for that. Because people don't get addicted to things like drugs or alcohol because their lives are just so fucking great. It is a <laughs> symptom of an underlying issue. And so calling it food addiction, I think, can detract from the fact that there is an underlying problem that food is trying to solve. Calling it food addiction doesn't really allow you to get to the root cause of what is really going on, what underlying issue is triggering these kinds of behaviours. Instead, what it creates this narrative around, I just need to detox from food. And it encourages a certain restriction and also a certain abstinence from food, which you can't really do to survive. So it's really a bit of a tricky issue there. But I think what's really, really important with what you said is that, you know, it's about the social factors. It's about various other implications and factors that all contribute. And that actually ties us in really well with what we're going to be talking about next week it does we've talked a lot about the various things with sugar today but it is also worth pointing out that this documentary has a lot of conversations around things like what causes weight gain determinants of health and various issues around whose fault it is as well and that is something we're going to be delving into really hard next time. Yeah, we're going to have some really good conversations about that. So I think all in all, if you take away one thing from this is that sugar is not responsible for all of the things. You know, you can enjoy it as part of a normal, widely varied diet, um, just like the rest of us. Uh, and, you know, don't don't uh, don't get confused by the artisan hand-tapped maple syrup made by virgin nuns. 
Um, <laughs> keep an eye out for that shit. <laughs> They're out to trick you. Yep, and also definitely don't use maple syrup if you're trying to make a fucking Victoria sponge. The British will come at you and haunt you forever because that is an abomination. <laughs> All right. Well, I am looking forward to next week's conversation because I think it's going to be amazing. Um, But in the meantime, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating because that's how people will find our little podcast. And of course, please tell your mates. Now, if you have questions or comments, please do get in contact with us. You can email us in bad taste podcast at gmail.com. Why don't you put cocaine? No, maybe don't put that in the subject line. (laughs) That's going to end up well, isn't it? <laughs> Put your favourite sweet t- treat in the subject line. Um, and as always, please come and see us on our socials. Pixie is at Pixie Nutrition and I am at Dr Nikki Stamp. And as usual, we will leave you references. And this week, this this lot of episodes, I should say, if you want some really bloody good references on some of the things that we're going to talk about, this is when you should read our books, okay, because they cover off a lot of this stuff in depth. But we will leave all the other links and references in the show notes below and see you next week. See you then. Bye. Time to eat some donuts. <laughs>
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.